Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 149 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 17th of April 2016, entitled The Genesis Account, Part 26, and the Bible reading is taken from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's holy and precious word taken from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Father, we thank you from the depths of our heart this morning, Lord, that we can claim the promises of this passage that we've just read, knowing that as your children, that because of Jesus Christ and all that he has accomplished for us, because that even now as we come before you in his name, that he is there, is our intercessor even now. Father, as we gather here in your house, we have your word before us and your spirit within us. And Father, we know, Lord, as you look over the hearts of each individual here this morning, you know each one, you know exactly, Lord, what the need of this hour is. So Lord, we pray that you would do the work that no man can do. Lord, despite our weaknesses and failings and shortcomings, would you please see fit to speak to hearts this morning, to do that work that only you can receive all the glory and all the honor for. Save the one that's lost. Restore the backslider. Lord, challenge, build up, strengthen. Do that which is necessary for your children today that each and every one of us can leave here today more like our Savior than when we entered. We give you all the thanks and all the praise for it. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. We began a series last, well, we've been in a series for a long time on contending for the faith, and we are up to number 26, I think, in the Genesis account as we've been looking at the book of Genesis. For those that haven't been here, we've covered a lot of ground in recent months as we have looked at the book of Genesis as being the foundation for so many truths, so many doctrines, so many things that God gives us throughout the Word of God. So in that time, we've looked at the authority of God's Word. We've looked at the very assertion of God's existence in being here. We've looked at the absoluteness of God's creation. He created everything from nothing And yes, he did it in six days. We've looked at the advancement of the human race and the accountability of mankind to his creator. We've looked at the administration of home life as God meant it to be, the acuteness of man's fall when he fell from that perfect state into that sinful state. We've looked at the abolishment of Satan, our great arch enemy, and the atonement for sin in each and every one of our lives. We've looked at the acceptance of 
offerings to God for all that he's done for us. And we looked at the affirmation of God's judgment. Last week, we began looking at this wonderful thought of the assurance of God's promises. The assurance of God's promises. And of course, if you were not here last week, then I can only say I'm sorry. There were a lot of things that we looked at there as we tried to really look at just what we meant by what a promise was. And we said that in actual fact, it's a declaration of something that will or will not be done that is specified specifically. But we went on to say that promises never have been within its very definition, were never meant to be broken. Broken promises mean broken hearts, and broken hearts mean broken people. There are so many broken people in this world today. There are so many broken hearts, and we, we looked at a number of things as we look around us. It's, we find that we live in a day when people are so disillusioned with government, with politics, with their leaders, with those that uh, are supposed to be setting the examples and ruling over us. Why? Because of broken promises. <laughs> because it doesn't matter of what political persuasion you come from. Because of people saying, I promise this and I promise that and not fulfilling it. We've looked, we looked at the idea that almost half the people that come before a congregation like this and before God and make vows, make promises to each other for better, for worse, no matter what, till death do us part. And yet almost half of those promises are broken. We find that we looked at a lot of things. Uh, honestly, as we look back, we can always somehow think that we talk about the good old days. <laughs> And we can look back and we can reminisce on how things were so good. And at the same time, we can look at how bad. It doesn't really matter what age that you live in. There's good things and there's bad things. But man, right back since the Garden of Eden, man has broken his promises. And as a result... People have been broken. We looked at a number of things that we certainly don't have the time to go back through, but I do want to remind you that the Bible speaks of things that we do not see, that we do not know, that we cannot touch, that we cannot see as though they were many times because God's promises are so sure that if God speaks it, it can be no other way. We looked at verses like Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 2 Corinthians 5.7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Romans 10.17, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. You see, what it comes down to as a Christian, as a child of God, is that the way that our faith can be increased, the way that we live, the way that we understand, the way that we know, 
that we'll get through today and tomorrow and the next day is because of God's promises, not man's. We have God's word on it. And we know how the story ends. We know the finishing. And it's just as sure and solid and good as if it were already there, visibly able to be seen. We talked about some of the men like G. Campbell Morgan. He said, I believe the promises of God enough to venture eternity on them. God's promises are so sure that I'll stake all of my eternity upon them. William Carey, when he said, expect great things and attempt great things, he also said, the future is as bright as the promises of God. Sometimes we look and we see such bleakness and some, such darkness, but we've got God's promises. We talked about David Livingston. As he was there in Africa as he came to the great Zambezi River and he needed to cross over to the other side, but the chief of the tribe on the other side had made a promise because of the treachery of the white men that had gone before him. He had promised that the next white man to cross that river was dead. He would kill him. And as he sat there by candlelight and he was reminding himself of the promises of God, he came across that promise, that simple promise in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Closing his Bible, he made the statement, said, it is the word of a gentleman of the strictest and most sacred honor. I will not flee. You see, he knew that he had a promise that trumped man's promise. He had a promise above all promises. No matter what man had said, he had the promise of God on the matter. So we could ask ourselves, as we consider these things, how can we have that kind of confidence? I remember reading in one of the biographies that the favorite verse of the great evangelist Dwight L. Moody was taken from Isaiah chapter 1, verse 7, for the Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. The promises of God. Now, the enemy is real, very real. I won't ask you to raise your hands, but I wonder how many of you have read the great old John Bunyan book called Pilgrim's Progress. Phenomenal book, an allegory, a book that even Charles Haddon Spurgeon said that he reread once a year at least because of what it did for his own heart and soul. Well, if you've read that book, you realize that, of course, it's about a Christian and his journey through life. And, and the one named Christian in there, there was a point in the story when he was traveling along the, the main highway of his Christian life, and suddenly there was a path that looks so much easier. And so he decided to go down that path. But as he went along that path, he came into the territory of the one called giant despair. 
And Giant Despair was the one that owned Doubting Castle. And so eventually, Christian was captured by Giant Despair, and he was thrown into the, the dungeon of Doubting Castle. And for a time, he seemed as if there was just no hope, that if, as if despair had truly conquered him as a Christian. But then, he had a companion with him, and his companion's name was Hope. And Hope just reminded him of some of the previous victories that God had brought them through. So it was on Saturday night in the, in the story, and it's Saturday night, and it was approaching midnight, and so they began to pray. And they literally prayed all night until almost daybreak the next morning. And so just a little before daybreak, Christian, almost as if something had just totally, totally changed within him, and he broke out in this passionate speech, and I quote, he says, what a fool am I thus to lie in a stinking dungeon when I may as well be at liberty. I have a key in my bosom called promise that will, I am persuaded, open any lock in Doubting Castle. I have a promise in my bosom, God's promise, that will unlock any door that the enemy tries to put me behind, to lock me behind. Oh, I know he has some great promises of his own. And it, we live in a day when so many people make promises to us. How many of you know what that is? Anybody have any idea? <laughs> well, you may think you do, but you don't. You don't. I know it just looks like maybe a, a handle. But it, it's, it's not. Matter of fact, I've, I've had trouble coming up with a name for it. I've had a few things in my mind rolling around, but this will change your life. It'll change your life forever. As I look around this morning, I know that there are some of you here that are, that are struggling probably with discouragement and despair and just feeling down in the dumps. Well, listen, if you take this and simply screw it up on the wall in your house, it will change your life forever. Some of you struggling with hair loss. Oh, man, you put this up in your house and your hair will grow like it's never grown before. Aches and pains, knee problems. Screw it up in your house. Your life will never, ever, ever be the same. I promise you. How does it work, you say? I'm not sure. I, I really have no idea. But there again, you know, when, when I came to church this morning, I, I got in that church minibus and I drove that thing behind that wheel. I cranked it up and I drove down the road and yet, I promise you, I'm not a mechanical engineer. I have no idea how I did that. <laughs> I don't know how that combustible engine worked in there, but I know it worked. I know. I know that there's some things in life that we just don't understand. I mean, it's like, even though I once trained in electronic engineering, <laughs> the truth is, man, that was a lifetime ago. 
Things have changed so much. I go in there and I punch that button on my computer. Man, that thing fires up. And I don't know how it works, but I know it does. All I have to do is hit the button and punch a few keys. And man, I'm in there and I'm in my emails and I've got all these hundreds of emails that are coming in and they're telling me what a, what a great person I am and how much they love me and, and how that this super whatever it is has changed their lives forever. They're just there. I know it. I promise you. You know what? It can be yours today. Six easy payments, $99.95 a month. Six easy, 600 quid, less than 600 pounds can change your life. Who wouldn't jump at such an opportunity? And you can know, you can have no doubts because you have my promise. And I promise you, if you get it, you don't like it, it doesn't work, <coughs> just send it back to me. I'll accept it back. I'm not promising I'll send you any money back, but I'll take this back off your hands. <laughs> I promise you. You've got my word on it. I know that sounds ludicrous, but you can probably turn your TV on when you get home and find something just as ludicrous on there. <laughs> People promising stuff every day of our lives till we get to where, <coughs> if we're not careful, we judge promises based upon man's promises, not our promises, not God's promises. You see... <coughs> I have control. And I said last week that we are supposed to be little Christ. God is supposed to be living within us. And so as we go through this whole matter of God's promises, it ought to be telling us what our promises to each other mean as well. But today, if you remember something else that I mentioned to you when we were looking last week at this whole idea of promises, you see... Promises are meant to be kept, but when somebody makes you a promise, what is it that makes a difference in whether or not you believe that or not? I gave you a few examples. You know, sometimes somebody you know because of their past record, they promise you something, and I gave you a few of the examples of some of the things that you might think <laughs> because you don't believe a word of it. A lot depends on who the person is that is making the promise. And it depends on that person's ability to fulfill that promise. And it depends on what that person has done in the past when they've made their promises. And I said, you know, really, we can break it down all we want, but in the end, it comes down to those simple things. And so what I want you to do is to realize that in God's Word, Beginning in the book of Genesis, the foundation is laid. Remember, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Satan wants to destroy the foundations. He wants to get you in that doubting castle. He wants to get you doubting. He wants to get you living as if you don't. And I said many times, we know the promises, but do we really believe and live and accept them in our lives? I read you from Titus chapter 1, that Paul was writing to young Titus. He said, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, according to our belief 
our trust in what God has said as his children and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God cannot lie, promised before the world began, but hath in due time manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. God's promises are older than we are. God's promises are eternal whichever way that you look. The promises, he said, that God made before the world even began. And that's what I want to draw your attention to as we look today. And you know, we, we can't possibly attempt to cover. Remember how many promises I told you were in the Bible last week? Who can remember that number? More than a thousand? Anybody else remember? <laughs> More than 3,000? Yeah, I said both of those things. What I, said, I said, you can really find anything from literally a few hundred to 30,000 to all these thousands because there's over 30,000 verses. Some people think they're all, all promises. The truth is there's a lot of them. <laughs> and almost everybody that counts them counts them differently because there's so many of them. And some of them are repeated. And then some of them are made at different times to different people. And it goes on and on and on. But God's word is filled and literally what I said was you could say hundreds or even thousands without worrying about being wrong. God has promised you. You've got his word on it. We can't possibly cover all the promises. We can't even cover all the ones in Genesis alone. But what I want to do today and probably next Sunday is to give you some of the promises, the foundations that God laid. Because remember, we're looking at it is God that is making these promises, and you'll have to go back. We can't do it all in one Sunday, as it's clearly obvious from the number of sermons that it's taken, but a lot of this was covered when we talked about the atonement of sin. We talked about the abolishment of Satan. Even when we go back beyond that to the authority of God's Word, you remember that at that time we said, if God's Word is authoritative at all, it is authoritative in all. It's either authoritative in everything or it's authoritative in nothing. You can't have it both ways. If it says one thing that's wrong, it loses its authority. And I said we could state that another way. Either every promise of God is sure or no promise is safe. Even every promise that God made is absolutely sure, is certain. Or there's no promises that are safe. We don't know which one could fail, which one might be right, which one might be wrong. And I want to give you a few. And I want you to look back with me into the book of Genesis and just give you a couple of simple thoughts here. In first Genesis, notice that in verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, where are we here? This is God. If you would, God talking to himself, but yes, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. 
And God, uh, Elohim, the plurality in one, said, let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. You see, man would see that in God's promise, his first promise to man, he said, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. If you would, God's first promise was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit promising each other that they were going to create man. And God's fulfillment of that then was creating man, male and female, created he them, and God blessed them. And God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. God said, behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed. This, as far as we find recorded in God's word, seems to be the very first promise that God makes to man, from God to man. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat. And to every beast of the earth and to every fowl of the air and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. God's promise of care. God's first promise to each and every one of us is that as he created us and put us there, everything here is for you, for your few. First, a promise of dominance. That's what he said there in verse, in verse 26, that he would let them have dominion over, and he goes through the list. Man was going to be a unique creation. Man was going to have dominion over all of the others. He's going to create man, and he's going to give man the dominion over everything else that he's created. That was promised in verse 26. In verse 27, it was fulfilled. God did create man, male and female. He created man in his own image. And then in verse 28, God blessed them, and God spoke to them, and that's when God said, be fruitful and multiply, replenish. I've given you everything that you need to be cared for. God's promise of care. First of all, in his dominion over everything else, but also in verses 29, 30, in his dietary needs, <laughs> God gave him everything that he needed. And you know what? This is kind of... This is hard for a meat-loving guy like me. Man, everybody was vegetarians, and they were happy about it. They were glad. <laughs> you know, I've got some kids that are vegetarians. I think, man, I like a little bit of meat with my veggies. I love veggies. Give me some meat to go with it. There, everybody. Why? Not one animal, not one human being. Death was not a part of this earth. Death was not there yet. At this time, God had made a promise in heaven that he was going to create man upon this earth in his own image, that he was going to give man dominion over all the rest of his creation. 
And then God spoke that into existence. God did it. He did create man in his own image. Body, soul, and spirit. Just as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Man created in the very image of God. And God did give him dominion. And God gave him everything that he needed in order to live on this earth. God's promise of care. But next we see that it was a promise with condition. You know, we talked about this last week that promises were never meant to be broken. We talked about some of the ways that people look for an escape route, a way to renege, some way that they can get out of keeping that promise. And we used some examples there. We said the only condition that is valid in a promise is a condition that is made when the promise is given. Second Genesis chapter, or Genesis chapter 2, notice what he says in verses 15 to 17. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely eat die. <laughs> Chapter 2, we've seen in our study, gives us greater detail of some of the Garden of Eden and the creative act that God was performing there in chapter 1. So here in verses 15 and 16, we see again the actual fulfillment of God's first promise as he places man there in the garden to carry out his role of taking care of that which has, he's been given dominion over. We see God speaking telling man again of this provision that he's made for him to fulfill all of his needs. He may eat freely of everything that's in the garden, but verse 17 is an exception. Except there is one condition. Everything there you can have. There is one condition. There's one prohibition. And if that prohibition is violated, I promise you there's only one thing that can come from it, and that is death. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now, surely, there can be absolutely no doubt that what we're reading here in chapters 1 and chapter 2, it's all related. It's all part of the same event, the same promise of care, the enlightenment of this one condition in God's care for man that's being made. And given the promise of the consequence, you see, we have the promise of God's care. But it's a promise with condition. And it's a promise with consequences if that condition is broken. Look in the next chapter, in chapter 3. And I'm just reading this quickly because we have looked at these verses already, but it's important to remember and notice here it says, as we begin to read, of course, man disobeyed God. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field upon by belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Now, we looked at all this when we've looked at a number of the things in Genesis. 
We saw the temptation. We saw how that uh, man fell and how he tried to, to place the blame always on something else or somebody else. But as we pick up here in verse 14, we're seeing the consequences of breaking that one prohibition, that one condition to all that God had promised to man. And the first consequence was to Satan himself. And he said in verse 15, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Satan, as a consequence, you are going to crawl on your belly for the rest of your life. Now, to this day, folks, you can see with your own eyes the fulfillment of that promise every time that you lay eyes upon an old serpent. And that serpent is a symbol of the Satan that used him, that entered him, that possessed him in the Garden of Eden to do his bidding with the woman. Now, we've talked about how that he will be abolished one day, and that's the promise that we have there in verse 15, which we'll come back to in a minute. But what I want you to realize first is that Satan, Satan, when God made the promise, Satan was subject to it, and Satan, we see the consequences that fell upon him. Verse 16 says, Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Again, we've talked about that in detail, but all I want to say to you is, ladies, if there is anybody here today that has ever given birth, and there were no birthing pains, would you please raise your hand? We see this promise fulfilled every time that a child is brought into this earth time and time and time again. Now, I know they can give them medications to take away the pain, and they can knock them out, and they can do all these different things, but let me tell you, natural childbirth brings natural pain. It's a consequence for the woman. For the man... Verse 17 says, And at Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of, eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken for dust thou art, and into dust shalt thou return. Wow. I don't know about you, but the easy life was gone. God's promise, hey, I've put you here. I've given you dominion over everything. All the food that you'll ever need or want, it's right there just for the taking. Just don't eat of that one tree. If you do, it will bring death. What does man do? He does the one thing that God told him not to do. He disobeys God. And as a result, Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man, speaking of Adam, sin entered into the world and death by sin. There was no death until sin came. 
When sin came, death came. We've looked at all that. We've looked at the first death. We've looked at the skins that were made for their covering. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. You see, that would be a pretty sad ending to the story if it finished there. I hate sad endings. <laughs> I hate to be hearing a story, <coughs> reading a story, seeing a story, and it has a sad ending, and it just leaves you there. I got news for you. God hates sad endings worse than anyone. You just think that you hate them? God hates them worse. You see, God could not have been clearer concerning his promises to man. If you do this, I will do this for you. If you do this, this is the consequences you're going to suffer as a consequence of that. He couldn't have been clearer concerning his desire, not only for Adam in the garden. The Bible says clearly it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. We've said time and time and time again, we've looked at it. How, what would God have to do for you to understand how much he loves you? He gave his life for you. He died for you so that you can have life. God's desire for you. Hell was prepared for the, for the devil and his angels. Folks, death was not something that God created. God created life. Death is simply the absence of life. We've looked at many passages. We've discussed all this before. But all I want you to remember this morning, we talked about again this so much in the past in the Atonement of Sin series and, and, and others. But I'll take you back to verse 15 in his second part of his promise to Satan. You see, there was a promise of care. There was, as God promised to, uh, to care for us, there was a promise with conditions, there was a promise with consequences. But I want to tell you this one finally this morning. It was a promise of Christ. It was a promise of Christ. The first promise, I will put enmity between thee, you, Satan, and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Oh, yes, he bruised his heel on Calvary. He says he's going to crush your head. He's going to annihilate you. This is his promise of a Savior, his promise of the Messiah, the one that would utterly crush the head of Satan and defeat our final enemy, that one that entered with sin did, called death. Jesus Christ is the only one, and he did it. Yes, he died on Calvary's tree, but praise God, when he rose again the third day, the Bible tells us he is not here. He's not there amongst the dead. He is risen. He is alive. Death was overcome. He's the only one that could overcome it. He came to give life in the place of this death that entered in here in the garden. Sound too good to be true? Almost, almost better than my new invention? Too good to be true? 
That's the way some people feel about God's promises. They're just too good to be true. Well, with men's promises, sadly, often they are. But I want you to remember who's making this promise. And I want you to remember, we're talking about the one that holds the power of the universe, the one that created everything that exists in this world. And we're talking about one that I'm just showing you the beginning here, but you will never, ever, ever anywhere in these covers find one broken promise. God cannot lie. He's never said one thing that he would do that he hasn't done. That's his promises to you. You know, if these promises were dependent upon us, who we are, our ability, our track record, <laughs> we would be in big-time trouble. There is no doubt about it. But God's promised otherwise. God's promise to you that all of God's promises are based upon His Word, His ability, who He is, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says, For all the promises of God in him, in Jesus Christ, are yea, and in him, amen. Every promise that God has made because of Jesus Christ, they are yes, and they are let it be so. It can't be any other way. Romans 15, 8. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. Jesus Christ, everything, every promise of God in him is yes and amen. He is the one that confirms every promise that God has ever, ever made. Acts 13, verses 22 and 30, or 32 and 33, and we declare unto you glad tidings how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us. Those same promises that he made to our fathers that have gone before us, they're fulfilled unto each and every one of us, his children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again. And it is also written in the second Psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Jesus Christ was the son of God, begotten by God, and God raised him from the dead. And that's the assurance that you can have, that every promise in him is certain. You see, we read that verse in Romans, and I give you these verses in closing this morning. Oh, they're familiar verses. But somebody still needs to listen to them. Somebody still needs to take them to heart, not just to ear. You see, we read there in Romans 5.12 how that when sin entered into this world, that death came with it. So many times we turn in our Bibles to the book of Romans to share people the wonderful promises of God. In Romans 3, 23, it says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What did it say in Romans 5? It's passed upon all men because that all have sinned. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. When we compare it to God's glory, we all miss the mark. We find that the Bible goes on to state very clearly to us in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus 
Look down, each and every one of you, all of us sinners, but even as sinners, even as his enemies, God shows us his love. Jesus went to the cross, and he gave himself for us. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is what? Death, just as we saw in the garden. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Look around you, folks. The promise of the garden is fulfilled. Everybody and everything dies under the curse of sin. Everything and everybody that's the result of sin. But Jesus died for you because he loved you so much. And he wants to give you the gift of eternal life. You've already got death awaiting you. There is no doubt because you, just like me and just like every other human that's ever breathed, sin was brought about as a result. Death, physically and spiritually. But the greatest promise in understanding all of that, Jesus did it all. But see, the question I want to leave with you this morning, <coughs> what are you going to do about it? Because in Romans chapter 10, the Bible says that if thou, you, every one of you here this morning, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart, that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Why? Because he says, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Jesus did it, but it doesn't do you any good unless you're willing to apply it. It can only be applied in the heart, not just in the head. He has promised, if you'll believe, if you'll put your faith, if you'll believe his promise that he's made to you in Jesus Christ, he will save you. When in your heart you will call out to him, you will seek him, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And then the words, with mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall be saved. Will you believe God? Will you accept God? Does it sound too good to be true? Does it sound like some fairy tale? Well, if it were anybody else, it would be. But you're talking about the one that made you from nothing, the one that gave you life, and he's trying to overcome that death that you have inherited because of sin. He wants to give you life forever. He says there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek for the same Lord over all is rich to all that call upon him. Even as we look around here this morning, we have all kind of backgrounds and cultures and nationalities. There's one God. Jesus died for each and every one of you. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We looked at that verse earlier. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. It really comes down. The greatest promise began in the very Garden of Eden where all creation began with the first man and woman, every promise of God. We can have the assurance because of Jesus. You can become God's child because of Jesus today. You can be part of his family. Father, we know there's so much more to be said, but our time has 
left us again this morning. And Lord, as we think about the assurance of your promises to us, God help us. We live in a world of broken promises, broken hearts, broken people. Oh, but to help us to look to the one that can never lie, that can never break a promise. Lord, I pray that you'd help us today to recognize and realize that Lord, even as we've looked at the very first promises that you've made to us there in the garden and the fulfillment of those promises, Lord, the greatest at all, the one that gives all the others meaning, is there in verse 15 of chapter 3 where you promised to send a Savior, Messiah, one, Lord, that could redeem us from our sins. So we thank you for that today. And I pray for every one of your children here today that you would just remind them the great promises they have in a sometimes dark and bleak world filled with man's broken promises, that they can hold every promise of yours sure. Help them, Lord, to look to those promises, to live by faith, not by sight, to know that what you said, it trumps what any man says or what any of us can even see with our visible eyes. Help us, Lord, to have the kind of faith that truly will change our lives. Man offers us all kinds of things that they tell us will be life-changing as we tried to illustrate this morning, but there's really one thing, one promise that's truly life-changing. That's the promise of life that you give us in Jesus Christ. So, Lord, you know the hearts here this morning. I pray that you would help each one. Many that are here lost, Lord, I wish I could save them. I wish I could do something. I wish there was something magical that I could do, but I can't. I trust and pray that even in my realness and inabilities that you'll take your word and speak to their hearts as only you can. Speak to them where they can know that it's you. It's not just this preacher up here, but it's you that's speaking to them. It's you that loved them. It's you that paid the price for them. It's you that wants to give them life today if they'll just believe you, accept your promises. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.